Abraham Lincoln Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. So we have been following carefully and fairly aggressively the where did the COVID-19 come from question since the very beginning. China. And That's right, and, Trump. You're right. That's, uh, yes, sir. Um, and we have not had any tribal weirdness, I think, interfere with our thinking. We just want to know what's going on. And I didn't care if Trump espoused a theory or if Trump said the opposite. I was just going to dig and dig and dig and try to, you know, come up with my own information. And the idea that it leaped from the Wuhan Institute of Virology or that closely associated lab, because the Institute is actually a series of labs of various degrees of, uh, of safety. Um, the idea that it could have leaked from the lab seemed obvious from the beginning and the, uh, the sudden rush to dismiss the very idea. How dare you? As it turns out by some of the people involved in that same lab, and the fact that the media lapped it up and helped cover for the Chinese communists because they hated Trump, and Trump said it came from the lab. Anyway, it's just been galling, and it's so hard to drag people back to, can you please look at the facts instead of mindlessly spouting your tribal nonsense? Well, interestingly, John Stewart, the fabulous John Stewart, was on the first live with a, a big audience. Uh, in the Ed Sullivan Theater Colbert show last night, and they were talking about the whole lab leak thing. And uh, you're not going to see the facial expressions, although you'll probably sense through the the audio. But Colbert really taken aback uh, by John Stewart advocating this uh, this theory. Twenty one, Sean. I think we owe a great debt of gratitude to science. Science has, in many ways, helped ease uh, the suffering of this pandemic, uh, which was more than likely caused by science. <laughs> what, what, what do you mean by that? Do you mean like well, so perhaps a, there's, there's a chance that this was created in a lab, there's an investigation? A chance? Well, but I, so, I, 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 oh my if God. there's evidence, I'd love to hear it. There's I don't a know. novel respiratory coronavirus overtaking Wuhan, China. What do we do? Oh, you know who we could ask? the Wuhan novel respiratory coronavirus lab. The disease is the same name as the lab. <laughs> that's, just, that's just a little too weird, don't you think? And then they ask those scientists, they're like, how did this, so wait a minute, you work at the Wuhan respiratory coronavirus lab. How did this happen? And they're like, mm, a pangolin kissed a turtle. <laughs> and you're like, no, I, you, you, the wait, name wait, of your lab, wait. if you look at the name, Look at the name. Can I? Let me see your business card. Show me your business card. Oh, I work at the coronavirus lab in Wuhan. Oh, because there's a coronavirus loose in Wuhan. How did that happen? Maybe a bat flew into the cloaca of a turkey and then it sneezed into my chili and now we all have coronavirus. Wait a second. What about this? What about this? Listen to this. Wait a second. Oh my God. Oh my God. There's been an outbreak of chocolatey goodness near Hershey, Pennsylvania. What do you think happened? Like, oh, I don't know. Maybe a steam shovel made it with a cocoa bean. Or it's the 
Chocolate Factory. Maybe that's it. That could be. <laughs> that could oh, be. That's good stuff. That's First good of all, stuff. Yeah, reminded of how funny John Stewart is. And one of the reasons his show was so popular is he wasn't he was way to the left of me and he drove me crazy a lot, but he wasn't always going to go with the narrative. He just didn't. That's one of the reasons his show was so popular. If there was something that was obvious like this, even though his side hated it, he would say it. Right, right. What was really interesting to, to get all sociologists on you there is, and this is a problem we've been talking about a lot, John Stewart is talking about a lab accident. Colbert thinks he's talking about the coronavirus being in, entirely built as a bioweapon inside the lab because he's been told from all his siloed left-wing bubble sources that that's what the crazy, crazy conservatives believe. And some crazy, crazy conservatives do believe that. But the vast majority of us just think, no, they had lack safety standards at a lab that not only studied novel bat coronaviruses, but enhanced them to make them as virulent as possible to study ways to cure them and treat them, the the gain-of-function research. We're not talking about a Frankenstein thing per se, although there is a little bit of gene splicing involved. Boy, that was some John Stewart goodness right there. Let me see your business card. (laughs) No, 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 a pangolin kissed a turkey or whatever he said. (laughs) Kissed a turtle. So, Sean, is... uh, hilarious. The rest of that's worth playing, huh? Yeah, 22? I, th- I think so. Okay. That could that could very well be, and Anthony Fauci and Francis Collins and Anna have said, like, this should definitely be investigated. Don't stop with the logic and people and things. The no, name I, of the disease... Wait a second. Wait a second. the building. Wait a second. But I, I, it could be possible. You could be right. It could be possible that they have the lab in Wuhan to study the novel coronavirus diseases because... In Wuhan, there are a lot of novel coronavirus diseases because of the bat population sure, no, there. I understand. It's, it's like the same. It's like, a wait local a specialty, and it's the only place to find bats. You won't find bats no, anywhere else. Like oh wait, Austin, Texas has thousands of them that fly out of a cave every night, every <laughs> night at dusk. Is there a, a coronavirus in Austin? Coronavirus? No, it doesn't seem to be in Austin. Coronavirus. <laughs> the only coronavirus we have is in Wuhan. <laughs> Where they have a lab called, what's the lab called again, Stephen? (laughs) The Wuhan Novel Coronavirus Lab. I believe that's Uh the case. And how long have you worked for Senator Ron Johnson? Let me tell you something. Wow. Let me tell you something about Ron Johnson. Wow. This is not a conspiracy. That is so interesting. Wow. Yeah. So if you're going with what is the most, uh, and all the plenty of scientists say this is the most likely thing that happened because of the things John Stewart just said, that makes you a Ron Johnson is a conspiracy-minded senator from Wisconsin, is what that comment was. Also interesting, Colbert, uh, factually wrong. The bats that all these coronaviruses come from are a thousand miles away from Wuhan. They're in southern China. Um, so he's just absolutely wrong. That's That's pretty funny. It is. Well, yeah, Stewart's riffing is great. Colbert's uh, Colbert's intransigence is revealing. Yeah. Like, I don't like I don't really have a horse in this race politically. I just I don't even understand why it would be that because of near religious fervor, pro and or anti Trump. Mine is pro or 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 anti China. That's where all my uh, emotion comes from. If there's any emotion attached to it at all. Right. Right. 
I like the initial framing that Stewart had of it that I hadn't heard before, that we owed a debt of gratitude to science because it made the suffering of this pandemic easier, which was probably caused by science. Yeah, yeah which is I worth, thought that was which an is, interesting paradox. Which is definitely worth pointing out. Yeah. Definitely worth pointing out. Well, and it's become infinitely clear now, according to all the heavyweight publications on the left, from Vanity Fair to the New York Times, that uh, scientists and State Department folks involved with science uh, covered their asses as aggressively and dishonestly as you can imagine. The moment this thing uh, revealed itself to be serious, the lying began. Somebody's got a big article today. I don't remember who it was. Um whether or not we should still do the uh, the gain of function research, and you know, I, I, I think there there should be a full debate about that. Um, definitely. Well, I would suggest that in the well, you know, I, I was going to say we have a lab that does that sort of thing. In is it actually Austin? Come to think of it. There is, I think, there is one lab in Texas and one in the research triangle in North Carolina that does similar research, I guess. And they don't have things leaking out. That's fine. I want, I want an open discussion of this, though. I want to hear all mm-hmm. the stats. I want a congressional hearing where all the stats come out. Look, there are this many labs and this, this many accidents, and this is how easy or hard it is to contain them. I would like to hear all that before my taxpayer dollars continue to uh to to go toward this sort of thing. I would agree. Yeah, nameless faceless bureaucrats making that decision is probably not a great idea. I and I would it. also like to hear a discussion of the protocols that would make it safe enough to do and sure. then an honest discussion of whether a communist system can enact those protocols in an honest way because the hallmark of communism is you always lie to the guy above you to cover your hiney. Yeah, I don't want a three-mile island-like reaction. So back in the 70s, one of our nuclear power plants in the United States on a place called Three Mile Island had a little leak, which wasn't really a very big deal, but it got so much press and and turned people's attitudes so sour on nuclear power that we have moronically gotten away from nuclear power in this country from a minor mishap. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't want to have that same sort of thing happen with this, but let's, uh, let's discuss this. That, that is, that is really interesting. The whole, cause how many times you've heard, let's all thank the scientists, the brave scientists who have worked so hard to the vaccine and the blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's very true. But we got a lot of our very best scientists in the world who created this damn thing. Congratulations on putting out your own fire. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. They, cre- you created this thing and weren't able to control it. And let's talk about that end of it for a little while. Can we? Well, as the great, late, great Neil Peart wrote, science like nature must also be tamed. Because yeah. run amok, especially in communist lands that don't give no Fs, it's dangerous. That nuclear power is a perfect example of it. Nuclear power can be clean, safe, and amazing. It also can blow up cities and kill hundreds of thousands of people. Right. If yeah. used as a weapon of war. I remember so vividly all of my favorite rock stars coming out just hardcore against nuclear power and putting on concerts and giving tearful testimony about one of the safest forms of energy on the planet, the only form of energy where the waste is contained, and as a result of their efforts, and I'm serious because they it worked, as a result of their efforts, instead we we burned 50 Quinzillion tons of coal, right. five bronfillion <laughs> gallons of gasoline and, and, and fossil fuels and the rest of it over the last 40 years, you freaking idiots! Right. And use stupid things like a solar and wind when nuclear works really, really well. Solar right. and wind doesn't. When nuke goes sideways, it's a very, very bad thing. Fukushima was the coming together of a number of just cataclysmic things together. You can't say that on the air. 
Fukushima? Don't, don't quit you saying did it, it again. Yeah. <laughs> My apologies. Uh, and and sure, we can learn something from that mess, but there's a, there's no safe form of energy. It, it, you have to ignite it or make it go crazy in one fashion or not, or another to get enough power out of it to, to to run anything. And there is danger there, of course. Fire, the original energy. Sitting around the cave, loincloths, bare-breasted women suckling babes, mastodons, the whole thing. Yeah, fire could burn you to death, but the, the, the cavemen didn't give up on it. Oh, we can't contain the fire. Uh, no fire now. No fire now. You didn't hear that <laughs> crap back in the day. You didn't have freaking Susan Sarandon and Graham Nash weeping that we need to end fire now because it's dangerous. <laughs> Shut up! No fire now. (laughs) Hilarious. Armstrong and Getty. Armstrong and Getty. This is the best of Armstrong and Getty. Sean told me he's been shopping for several days for a bonsai NFT and finally settled on one. Yeah. Yeah. Bonds like the the Japanese tree thing? Oh, yeah. yeah, Except it's a picture of a tree. It's not a picture. uh, It's an NFT. It's... uh, It's an NFT of a carefully trimmed tree. Yeah, it's okay. got a beautiful little bird on it. It's got some fruit on the tree. So I'm looking at the picture huh. of it. You Is this the one you purchased? Bonsai number 7,824? Yeah, yeah, there's only 8,888 in all of existence, Jack. And, and I've got one of them. And what did you pay for it? Uh, 0.095 Ethereum. <laughs> okay. How many is that? Oh, change our... back on your uh, Ethereum. How much is that in our Earth dollars? I think it's probably a couple hundred bucks, something like that. You paid a couple hundred bucks for this. Now, I know you've made five figures in uh, NFTs over the last several months, investing and whatnot. Uh, probably still under five figures. But but, but almost to five figures. Uh, you've you, had some wins, in other yes, words. Yes, yes. Do you, do you expect this bonsai tree to go up in value? Uh, possibly, but I'm fine holding it. If not, it's very peaceful. I plan what on meditating. What do you mean holding it? <laughs> but I'm looking at it now. So, I own it as much as you do. Yeah, your version Good luck of trying it, to sell it. But you're, you're <laughs> and I'm I'm not I'm not trying to just be a mocker because I realize this is a an actual thing. This is happening. Yes. But okay, I just screen captured the picture you sent yeah, me. The, the uh, mass it, hysteria of a crowd that believes they heard gunshots is a real thing too. It's craziness. It's it's terrible. I just screen captured it. I have exactly the same thing you have now, and I didn't pay any Ethereum, whatever those are, for it. Right? Uh, yes, but I could sell mine as well. So you have so uh, without the snapshot of right now, right? The, my my ape that I purchased a, a while ago that that you grabbed the screenshot of uh-huh. is that I now own this ape. But my ape is now worth more than your ape. I could sell my ape yeah. for 5x okay. what I paid for. Are it. you going to let your ape play on the uh, bonsai tree? <laughs> uh, n- no, but I expect him to share time in the metaverse at some point. If what? if if you're buying them and selling them and making money, you know, that's real. Um, uh, because enough people are going along with it. I still can't quite wrap my head around the... Cause like, if, if, uh, if a buddy of mine back in the day, uh, you know, there's an album I like and I didn't want to go spend $14 on the album and he made me a cassette copy. Okay. So now I'm listening to the music. I, I, I felt like I got the same thing as he's got. Pretty um, much. Yeah. Pretty much. Close enough. Yeah. Exactly. So I don't know. The, the silly nerd like video game end game of all this is in our virtual hangouts where I can invite friends over. I will have. 
my digital bonsai tree in this virtual reality place. I will have a picture of my bored ape on the wall as this is the uh-huh. official. So that's that's kind of what the well, some right. of the appeal is to those who splash around in digital spaces. And when you say that, it makes as much sense as a, like if you've got a print on the wall and it says down in the corner, one of 1,500 prints. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing. They could have printed as many as they wanted. They printed this many. It's not the but real But you painting. actually have a print. Well, he you actually... don't have the NFT. <laughs> I don't there's, know. There's nothing there. I don't know. Why that don't is... you get a real bonsai tree? It'll occupy I'd your like time. To kill that one. That is a good-looking <laughs> bonsai tree. Is that real, or is that just like an artist's conception of a bonsai tree? So these, uh, it is a generative piece of an NFT, which means that uh, when the person first minted this, they did not know how this was going to look. There are a set range of traits that All can right. appear on these things. <laughs> I'm checking the, out. The random right. fruit and the, the bird and the, the okay. pot that it's in, the leaves, the bark. Those were all kind of randomly generated when this so thing you, was minted. So you paid a I'm going to pop in my earbuds and listen to the album Jack was you, just mentioning. You paid, a couple <laughs> of hundred, you paid a couple of hundred dollars for Bonsai number 7824. Correct. And it may go up in value. In, Possibly. In but if not, then I can just look at it and meditate by it. And, okay. And be, right. uh, be perfectly zen. This is either going to go away and be laughed at for centuries. Ding! Or or catch on and be the new what future. That, ding? that I need to get on board with. I don't know what you're that going. ding? That was weird. <laughs> Armstrong and Getty. Uh, quick point of privilege. Quick point um, of personal privilege. Yeah, so many Americans believe yada, yada, yada. This is Armstrong and Getty. The lunacy of this, this exercise. What do you call it? Uncomfortable clarity? Hey, man. All right, go, go. <clears throat> I'm ready. Here's Armstrong and Getty. You're listening to the best of the Armstrong and Getty Show. Racism, I would define it um, as a collection uh, of racist policies that lead to racial inequity that are substantiated by racist ideas. <laughs> sure. A, a collection uh, of racist policies that lead to racial inequity that are substantiated by racist ideas. And anti-racism is a pretty simple using the same terms. Anti-racism is a collection of anti-racist policies leading to racial, anybody want to take a guess? Equity that are substantiated by anti-racist ideas. That is one of the most influential people in America, to my horror. Uh, Abram X. Kendi, author of How to Be an Anti-Racist, to quote uh, Tucker Carlson before we get into some unbelievable tape from the halls of Congress. If you want to understand a country's military, take a look at what its officers are reading. Military officers aren't just war fighters. They're trained to be thinkers, even intellectuals. In Russia, officers above the rank of colonel are required to read a book by Russian nationalist Alexander Dugin called The Foundations of Geopolitics. Dugin's book envisions a Eurasian empire with Russia at the center of it and outlines a way to achieve it. In China, meanwhile, recruits are told to read The Origin and Goal of History. It teaches that China is successful because its culture is superior to the West's. You might not agree with them, but these are serious books, and they promote the national interests of the countries whose officers read them. That's why they're assigned. So with that in mind, what is the American military reading these days? Let's see. A subliterate pamphlet on how the United States is a disgusting, immoral country that must be changed immediately and forever. The tract is titled How to Be an Anti-Racist. The book is garbage. Actually, it's worse than that. Not only is the book repetitive and embarrassingly stupid, but it's also poisonous. Huh. 
Um, and then he, he outlines Kendi's premise. He says Kendi's premise is as simple as he is. I don't know why the personal shot is necessary. Mm. I wouldn't, I would pass on that, but any system that produces unequal outcomes must be racist. Period. That's it. That's the entire thesis. Kendi applies it to everything. If some people make more money than other people, the economy is racist. If Ibram X. Kendi decides there aren't enough black astrophysicists, then astrophysics is by definition racist. If it rains in a black neighborhood, but not across town, then what you're watching is weather racism. Actually, Kendi didn't really write that, but only because he has no detectable sense of humor. But there's no question he believes it. The book is that militantly dumb. Having said that, and there's a good deal more to that thought, but we'll skip it for now. It turns out that one of the admirals in the United States military, one uh, Admiral Michael Gilday, has recommended the book for everyone in the Navy, Navy, recommended that they read this horse ass. My local school district, which wouldn't allow kids in school all year long uh, and never really addressed that issue, Last year, put out a uh, an email to parents uh, with ex- lots of exclamation points about how exciting it was they'd uh, just purchased many hundreds of copies of the uh, How to Be an Anti Racist book. Ah, yes, which is really how to be a racist. So you weren't you weren't interested in getting kids in the classroom, but you sure want to make sure you taught them uh, taught them that uh, white people are uh, racist by nature, right? And that uh, black people can never ever succeed as long as whitey has any power. Uh, it's unbelievable. At any rate, so Representative Jim Banks uh, led the charge asking this admiral, what the hell are you thinking having uh, your people read this book? Let's start with clip 30. Kendi's book states that capitalism is essentially racist. And Kendi is clear that racism must be eliminated. So yes or no? Do you personally consider advocating for the destruction of American capitalism to be extremist? Here's what I know, Congressman. So yes There's or no racism question, in the United States Navy. Admiral, you I recommended every sailor in the United States Navy read this book. So yes or no question. I'm not forcing anybody to read the book. It's on a recommended reading list. You know, this whole, and I know you got more on this, but this whole critical race theory, because I listened to a long podcast about this yesterday, where people on the right were saying people are making way too big a deal out of this. The problem with it is this Mott and Bailey argument that is always made where the, the out front, they've got this uh, How to Be an Anti-Racist book, which allows them to destroy anything and everything. And as that guy just quoted there, it includes capitalism. Mm-hmm. But people always retreat to the, uh, aren't you against racism? I'm against racism. Right, you heard the admirals say, all I know is there's racism in the U.S. Navy. Okay, yeah, sure there okay. is, and I'm all for getting rid of that. But what's that got to do with the anti-racist book? Which is the the the, the theory of that is there's no such thing as being uh, of saying I'm not a racist. That's not good enough. You have to actively be anti-racist, and the only way, according to Kendi, you can be actively anti-racist is be against anything that doesn't have equal outcomes. In other words, and you must tear it down. The best example I've heard is our healthcare system. So our healthcare system, for whatever complicated reasons. White people have better outcomes than black people. And there are all kinds of complicated reasons for that being true. But because that's true, you have to be in favor of universal health care. Because clearly the system is racist. Right. That And that is the only policy prescription that you can be in favor of if they say that's the right one. And that's horse crap. Otherwise, otherwise you're what? But if you push... Uh, you're you're racist. a racist. But if you push back on that at all, the people always retreat to, well, but there's racism in the world and I'm against it. Okay. 
Okay, we're having two different conversations here. Right. Such a such a idiotic circular argument. Clip thirty one. Admiral, did you read the book? I did. Admiral, you said you read this book. What part of this book is redeeming and and qualifies as something that, that every I think every Andy's sailor in the United States critical read it. about his own journey as an African American in this country, what he's experienced. Let me ask you again, Admiral, do you expect that say after sailors read this book that says that the United States Navy is racist, that we will increase or decrease morale, cohesion and recruiting race into the United States Navy? I think we'll be a better Navy from having open honest conversations about racism okay that's different than the book though because that book is not about having open honest conversations about racism right actually again to quote tucker uh, uh well that would be nice but it's an amusing line coming from someone who claims to have read kendy's book kendy has said many times um open and honest conversations are racist Let's say, open and honestly, you decide you cared more about the way people behave than the way they look. Let's say you took Martin Luther King at his word. If you do that, you are a racist. That's not an open, honest discussion. That's a one-sided prosecution by a radical with a nutjob philosophy. Uh, clip 32. In college, Kendi stated that white people are a different breed of humans and are responsible for the AIDS virus. Yes or no, do you personally consider the conspiracy that white people started AIDS to be an extremist belief? Sir, I'd have to understand the context. That is a simple question. Made. I'm not going to I'm not going to Admiral, this is a book I'm that you recommended every defend, sailor in the United States Navy cherry-picked quotes from somebody's book. I'm not going to do that. He didn't read the book. He he doesn't know what's in the book. He just was he told. He probably scanned the first chapter. Right, and he was just told, this is the hot book about uh, getting in front of the whole racism thing, so let's uh, let's make a big deal out of that. He doesn't know what he's talking about. That'd be my guess, which is really troubling for a guy in that position. I would say, yeah. And now, finally, a bail of Tom Cotton, 35. One Marine told us that military a military history training session was replaced with mandatory training on police brutality, white privilege, and systemic racism. He reported that several officers are now leaving his unit, citing that training. Another service member told us that their unit was required to read White Fragility by Robin DiAngelo, which claims, and this is a quote, white people raised in Western society are conditioned into a white supremacist worldview. An airman told us their unit was forced into a racist exercise called a privilege walk, where members of the wing were ordered to separate themselves by race and gender in order to stratify people based on their perceived privilege. Keeping in mind, Ibram X. Kendi, the great intellectual, teaches that racism is good if it produces less positive outcomes for white people and better for black people, doesn't mention Asians, throws in Hispanics when it's convenient. Racism is good if it leads to the outcome Ibram Kendi wants. And that's what we're teaching members of the United States military. And the foundation of the book is that the U.S. is unredeemably evil and must be torn down. This is an outrage. This is truly an outrage, not a talk radio react to me. We'll take your calls. Fake outrage. This is a, this is a horror that this is being taught to the members of our military. Resign, sir. That's something.
Man, that is really, really something. Um, I don't feel like uh, people on the right or left have any idea what they're talking about with the critical race theory stuff. I wish they'd read um, James Lindsay's books. I wish they'd actually read the anti-racist and white fragility books rather than just put them on their shelves because they heard that that's the best way to be on the right side of the whole race discussion. Right. And in the same way I admire, say, D.B. Cooper for disappearing with the cash, I admire... Who was Sean? Who was D.B. D.B. Cooper? Uh, that was Loki. Loki. Yeah. First episode of Loki, they, they clear that all up. The D.B. Oh, Cooper Lord. We had an adult conversation going for like 10 straight minutes. It was really going well. <laughs> you child. Uh, but in the same way I admire, you know, uh, the perfect crime, I admire the Marxists and America haters for couching their their philosophy in terms that white America would say, oh, yeah, yeah, I want to do that. I want to be that. Yeah. I mean, they, they absolutely candy-coated it perfectly to draw in the half-wit white guilt crowd. Yeah, and they couldn't have in their wildest dreams expected to have been this successful this fast where the U.S. military is handing out copies of horse crap books. Oh, yeah. The American military in the day of the rising of China is sowing the seeds of hate and racism within its ranks. Is the racism in the U.S. military that needs to be dealt with? Of course. Of course there is. Aggressively every single day. That's really a different topic than white fragility and uh, the anti-racist stuff. Yeah, and drive-by white guilt officers are just scanning the first chapter of something and making their their people read a book that is poison to the US military it, it it's astounding armstrong and getty armstrong and getty this is the best of armstrong and getty this is so good an illinois father became furious monday during a speech against critical race theory given at a school board meeting this is the insidious racist idea that Every unequal outcome is racist, and therefore, everything must be torn down, including the Constitution, the country, the rest of it. And that white people are born racist, and always will be, and cannot be redeemed. And those little children at school of yours, they are racists themselves. And this black man, who, and I think he makes this clear in context, who has a couple of medical degrees, ain't buying it. Clip 80. Uh, critical race theory, which is pretty much going to be teaching kids how to hate each other, how to dislike each other. That's pretty much what it's going to, that's pretty much, I don't care what say, it's pretty much what it's going to all come down to. You're going to deliberately teach kids, this white kid right here got it better than you because he white? You're going to personally tell a white kid, oh, the black people are all down to suppress. How do I have two medical degrees if I'm sitting here oppressed? Well, how did I get where I am right now if some white man kept me down? How am I now directing over folks that look just like you guys in this room right now? How? What, what, what kept me down? What oppressed me? I work for myself from off the streets to where I am right now. You going to sit here and tell me this lot of critical race theory? Go ahead. Roll on. 81. Martin Luther King said he wanted his kids to grow up in a world where they are judged by the contents of their what? Character. Their character, not their skin. Absolutely. If they let this stuff go on right now, it is absolutely doing the complete reverse Oh, what he's doing. So when February come, don't talk about Martin Luther King. When February come, don't talk about black kids. Mother dog will sit there and just be much pee on his grave with this nonsense. Yeah. He went on. I wish we had the whole That's thing. That's awesome. Said, 
not one white person ever came to me and said, well, son, you're not going to get anywhere. Black folks are getting told by other black folks, you're never going to be able to get out there in the world because white folks are never going to let you anywhere. The white man is going to keep me down, keep you down. How did I get where I am right now if some white man kept me down? What a particularly awful thing to tell little kids when they have no perspective. I can't imagine my kids learning at their current ages. See, white people are born evil. That's the way they're born. And they try to keep people with other skin from succeeding. Right. They've designed an entire system, an entire country to hurt you. And you know who's hurting you? Look next to you at that little child. That is who is hurting you. And it's a bad message on both sides. Oh, it's just obscene. I was just reading uh, Jonah Goldberg's column on the soft totalitarianism of uh, Ibram X. Kendi and the whole anti-racist thing and how it, it it's totalitarianism. And then it says, I de- get to declare who's a racist and who's not and what's racist and what's not. And if you mm-hmm. don't fall into these categories, you are by definition a racist. Right. And if you are racist, you can be ended. Because you are the embodiment of evil. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Plus, uh, they are openly, openly contemptuous of the idea of the First Amendment. So, in the, and, and not only is this happening and your kids and college kids are being indoctrinated into it, but they're recommending our, the members of our armed forces read this garbage. And uh, Representative Jim Banks, among others, was grilling this Admiral Michael Gilday about it. Oh, that's right. We have more of Ty Smith stuff. Yeah, let's finish up with Ty Smith, and then we'll get to the Admiral afterward. Ty Smith is the dad who we just heard talking. Let's hear clip 82. This is in an interview. Well, no, the ones that were possibly like a, a part of this whole narrative that make it seem like black folks just can't do anything without getting some help from Big Brother government, they had nothing to say. Mm. So before I spoke, a lot of people were up there saying all this. The black people have this art. We need to do more. We need to do this. I'm sitting here thinking to myself, wait a minute. The very people that they are talking about, that was me. I was that kid that they're describing right there, and I didn't see nothing. One of their faces ever come to my neighborhood trying to help out. But they do all this talking on the outside. They march and they got their fist up and they say, we're with you. But when it comes down to getting with us personally, none of them are ever there. And 83. I got nieces and nephews that's going to be in school and cousins is going to be in school. And I do not want this nonsense being taught to them because it's completely wrong. And that's why I said when, when this come around, don't talk about Martin Luther King. Don't talk about nothing that Martin Luther King said or did because critical race theory is actually doing the reverse of that. It's making what Martin Luther King did and what he fought for, what he died for, meaningless. That's absolutely true. Yep, yep, it is. Educate yourself. Read Cynical Theories by James Lindsay if you want. Uh, you got anything else uh, you'd recommend? Uh, That's pretty uh, good. Or just follow some good James, podcasts. Follow James Lindsay's Twitter feed because he he addresses issues on a an hour by hour basis as they pop around up around the country. It's pretty interesting stuff. For some reason, this was reminding me of I was watching this um, interview from sixty Minutes with Miles Davis, and it was old as from back in the eighties. The great jazz trumpeter Miles um, Davis. Because I've been on this jazz kick for a couple of years now, and um, so they're interviewing Miles Davis. Too many notes. Harry Harry Reasoner. And, uh, and he says to Miles Davis, what, what gives a black musician like you, you know, the soul, the, uh, the ability to play the blues? Is it the legacy of slavery and suffering in this country? And Miles Davis says, what are you talking about? He says, I ain't never suffered in my life. My dad was a professor. My mom was a school teacher. I ain't never suffered and I don't plan to. That's ridiculous. <laughs> I thought that was such a great answer. And he, wow. and, and Miles Davis hates white, hated white people. He's been dead for quite some time. He hated yeah. white people, but he wasn't going to go with that ridiculous, 
somehow the legacy of slavery translates to my trumpet playing. Yeah, yeah, good for him, good for him. Everybody's had the blues in one way or another. You know, it's funny, the blues is often about the blues, and I like that, but dance music about dancing I don't like. (laughs) You're a complicated man. Yes, you are. (laughs) Or nuts. (laughs) Drinking songs are about drinking, is that the same thing, or... Well, no, but there's no, there's no form of music known as drinking. God, I'll music. tell you, so I... Uh, well, all music is, kind of. <laughs> not to go into details, but so much of music is about heartbreak, right? And getting dumped and uh, and uh, going through a relationship situation like that now. I've been listening to so many sappy music, songs that I haven't listened to in 40 years. Just like the worst of like, I was on a kick of soft seventies soft rock the other day. It was oh. just embarrassing, but I couldn't stop. Wow, singing at the top of my lungs like a broken-hearted <laughs> high school girl. Wow, well, whatever it takes, <laughs> let, let it out. Let it out. Streaming down oh, your yeah, face, exactly. Snotty nose, exactly. <laughs> Armstrong and Getty.